The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where in some weeks more than others, we work our fingers to the bone to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Now, this month, we didn't get to do a Q&A at the beginning of the month because it was Fund Drive. And thanks to all the folks who did pledge during Fund Drive, um, you should have long since received your uh, course that you ordered. And uh, the station very much appreciates another six months worth of, I don't know, operating expenses. So you all did good, and now you can do good by actually paying attention to that course. So... When I had the opportunity today to have Bill Cook be my guest, and we were talking about uh, what what should we talk about, the answer became, um, you know, Bill's a super-duper experienced creative finance guy. He's done, actually, most of the properties he's bought have been either subject to the existing loan or owner financing or lead. they were uh, controlled with lease options or he got a partner or he got a private lender. And we might just want to make the topic creative finance Q&A day. And that's what we did. So if you have any questions about any creative finance strategy that you have heard of, uh, tried to implement, questions about deals you might be involved in doing right now, you can give us a call at 877-772-9658. Again, that number, 877 877- Seven seven two nine six five eight, or if that is inconvenient for you in some way, you can send your questions to Ask Vina. That's A S K V like and Victor E N A at Gmail dot com. Joining us from somewhere in one of the southern states, I believe today it's Florida. By phone is Mr. Bill Cook. Bill, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you very much, Vina. And it is Florida. Good guess. And I very much appreciate you having me on your show. Well, and I appreciate you uh, coming here because as much as we talk about creative finance on Real Life Real Estate, because it's just like a really good way to buy properties, um, it's usually more kind of sage from the stage. You know, somebody's somebody's being interviewed about how they do X, Y, or Z. So I think this is a good opportunity for folks who, you know, have their own questions to call up and ask them or send an email and ask them. And in fact, I, I wish there was a way we could we could give a prize for the dumbest question 
to encourage the, all the people who are sitting there going, well, I really want to ask this, but that's a dumb question. To go ahead and call and ask it, because if I'm not going to say there are no dumb questions, because I'm, I'm sure there are, but I promise you, listeners, you, wait, you 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 accuse me of them all the time. <laughs> Only Bill can ask <laughs> truly dumb questions. Um, I promise you, listeners, that if you are if you have a question and you're just you're thinking, but everybody else seems to understand it and I don't, so it must be a dumb question. You're wrong. If you've got it. Lots of other people have it, too, and you'd actually be helping them out by giving us a call at 877-772-9658 or sending us an email at askvina at gmail.com. So, Bill, while those questions are rolling in, we actually, you and I did a, a Zoom meeting last week for a bunch of people. And we sort of, we sort of were asked to lay out, like, what are the really good creative finance strategies in the market right now? Cause there's, there's like, you know, seven to 10 of them total, depending on how you count. But certain markets, you know, with maybe high inflation, slumping prices, more foreclosures, uh, do tend to, they tend to bring forward more deals of particular types. So why don't we start out by you sharing with listeners what the what the top four picks were for 2023? Okay, and but before I even get to there, I've got to let I want to make sure. So some of, some of your listeners are listening to you for the first time, and I really appreciate the introduction. But y'all need to know how great Vina is at creative deal structuring, creative funding. You know, she's been at this for decades, and nationally she's looked at as one of the very top, not just teachers, but also deal makers in the country. So it's just a real honor to be with her. So she knows the answers to all the questions. But it's fun when we get a chance to sit back and just have a back and forth. And to answer your question, if I had to pick four, you said, okay, Bill, four tools. I'm going to go with options. I'm going to go with subject to deals. I'm going to go with owner financing. And I guess bringing in either a private money lender or a money partner if I needed to do that. But with all the mortgages that have been taken out in the last, I think you said this on, uh, when we when we talked last week in, in Cincinnati and Columbus, how many of the loans have been taken out in the last four or five years? Do you remember? It oh, like yeah. It's like 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 uh, 70. I think the number was 70 percent of all mortgages, home mortgages in the United States at this point are at 4 percent or less interest. And if you can if you have 4 percent or less interest on a 30 year fixed rate, non-ballooning mortgage and you can structure a deal where you're able to maybe make payments on that mortgage or have that incorporated into the deal. Why would you not? Why would you go to a bank to get a loan or why would you go some other route? So that's what I would focus on most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I'm in rare agreement with you on that because <laughs> because um, it, it, we're in this weird place in the market where in in most parts of the country now, this wasn't six, six months ago, some parts of the country sales had slowed way down, uh, uh, appreciation had slowed way down or even kind of stopped, like like house prices hadn't gone up. 
Uh, and now I think it's most of the country. There's still a few places I hear from that are like, no, we're still, you know, we still had 10% appreciation year over year uh, based on February sales. But in most parts of the country, that's just not the case. Houses are harder to sell. If they're taking longer to sell, uh, sellers are getting panicky about how long they're taking to sell. And as a result, you know, sale prices are kind of flat or even now starting to decline in some parts of the country. And yet at the same time, we're not to the point in the market. This will take another six months, nine months, maybe a year where sellers are, are really like mentally aligned with that. You know, let me, let, let me say it this way. I'm getting a lot of calls from sellers who say, I want $250,000 for my house because my neighbor got that a year ago. And when I, when I say, well, when your neighbor sold his house, interest rates were 4%. You're selling your house now and interest rates are closer to 7%. That actually makes your house worth less. And they say, but I'm going to, I'm going to get that. I mean, I'm not trying to make any more money, but I'm going to get that. And I say, well, what's your interest rate? <laughs> you know? And they say, well, it's, it's, it's 3.2. And I say, well, I'll give you every dime of what your neighbor got a year ago if you let me do it by taking over that loan. And that, that's right. What you just said it is such a great deal structure and it works so well and it helps them get what they want while it allows you to have a cash flowing property. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that's the thing. I mean, for investors who are, who are looking at rentals and going, I can't pay what these people are asking because at the rates I have to pay, which are, you know, closer to like eight now for investors, it won't cash flow. So I guess I can't buy any houses. No, that's not true. <laughs> you can buy all the houses you want if you are not locked into having to go to the bank and get a loan at whatever the prevailing rates are. So yeah, subject to, to me for an investor, that's probably going to be the number one strategy of 2023. Now, Bill, we are starting to get some questions rolling in from listeners at askvina at gmail.com. Uh, also, listen, I want to remind you, if you want to go to the front of the line, you call 877-772-9658. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get to your creative finance questions. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Bill Cook. And I'm going to take this opportunity to just issue an open invitation to everyone who's listening to tomorrow night's Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meeting. Uh, Bill and I are giving an actual presentation where we can have slides and pictures and flowcharts and things called How to... Uh, buy your next rental without cash or credit. So if if you if you care enough to be listening today, you probably care enough to actually see a presentation on it. Um, it's free for members and guests. It's on Zoom, so you can come from wherever you are in the entire country. You can get your link at uh, CincinnatiRia.com. That's Cincinnati R E I A dot com. And, uh, if you're buying these as rentals, which I would think you were, if you were going to come to something called how to buy your next rental, you might want to show up at six o'clock Eastern time because at six o'clock we've got a panel, uh, called, uh, for this is, and this is a very experienced rental owners and managers 
called How to Keep Your Rentals Profitable in a Recession. And Bill, is it important to actually do things to keep your rentals profitable in a recession? I'm just asking from personal experience. Do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do. I do. And also, I just saw something. I really like the service you give because you have a, a website. If someone has a question, go to askvina.com, which I thought was great. Now, if you want answers to your questions, you should go to billknowstheanswer.com. If you, uh, new website. Just got that, that's if you want just any old answer. <laughs> and it's not a website, Bill. It's an email address. I know those are new to you, but oh, it's askvina at gmail.com. <laughs> askvina at gmail.com. Okay. Um, first question and this is from Janine who says that she is well I know who she is she is a she is a co-re member who actually lives in Maryland and she she has a question uh, that you will love because it is about pure options she Aww. says so she says uh when I google <laughs> when I google what is a pure option um Bill's website comes up first, so apparently there aren't a lot of people talking about this online, because if your website's coming up first without you doing anything about it, <laughs> that means there is just not That's a lot out there sad. about it. Um, she says, if I had an option to buy a property in, from the seller in 20 years, and I'm not allowed to exercise it until year 10... If I decided sometime in that first 10 or even the full 20 years that I didn't want to exercise it or couldn't exercise it, could I assign or sell the option to someone else? And does the seller have the right to refuse the new buyer? And the answer is, think of, let's say Bank of America is holding a note on the property and Bank of America decides to sell the note to BB&T, then Bank of America can assign the note to BB&T and it gets sold and there's really not much the borrower can say about that. It's just the borrower will start making payments to BB&T. Same thing with the option. The person who's holding the option owns that option. They have the right to buy the house according to the price and terms. And the property owner really has no say-so about it if that wasn't written into the agreement. Mm -hmm. So, yes, uh, she can assign, she can sell, she can trade, she can use as collateral that option agreement. Mm-hmm. So you said something important that I didn't want. I didn't want listeners to not hear fully. If the original option agreement between you and the future seller, Janine, had a non-assignment clause in it, if it said Janine cannot assign this or Janine cannot assign this without permission of the owner, then you wouldn't be able to assign it. But absent that clause, yes, you can sell it, you can assign it. As Bill said, you can trade it, etc. Um, so obviously, if you were having the option created, which you probably would be, because it's doubtful that the seller would even have an attorney who knew how to do that, then you simply would not put a non-assignment clause in it. It doesn't have to say it is assignable. It just has to not say that it's not assignable. Now, Bill, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question to Janine's question. Is there actually a secondary market for options? If I if I have one and I decide... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving out of the country. I'm never going to exercise this option, but I also put some money up so I don't just want to let it lapse. 
Are there people who would want to buy it or want to give me something else for it? The answer is, yes, there is a market, but it's very, very small. And it's usually very experienced real estate investors who do option work. And that is such a tiny part of the real estate investing community. You're not going to find all the buyers. Now, in my world, there's a lot of people who will buy my option. I get offered on my get offered to offer me to buy my options on a regular basis. But again, I work in a very unique, small world of people who understand and work with options. So yes, there is a market, but you, it's almost like if you were selling boom, Australian boomerangs that were built from 1700 to 1750. Well, there's there's buyers for that boomerang, but they're going to specialize in those type of boomerangs. That's mm-hmm. all. Yeah. So Janine, you're you're already with a group of people who has people in it who are who are either experienced buying, trading, et cetera, options, or who are interested in getting experienced in it. So should that, I don't, I don't know if you were talking about a real scenario here or if you were just like throwing a, throwing a question out there. Uh, but if you did have a situation like that, I think you would know where to bring it to f- do something with it. And you, and you brought up a great point, Vina. That is why you want to be a member of your local RIA, because that's where you find those people that speak that language of creative deal structuring, and that includes options. Well, Bill... That's why you always want to be a member. Bill, let, let's face it, yes. 99% of the real estate associations in the country, there's not a single person who regularly attends those meetings who understands what an option is, much less why they might want to buy one from somebody. You kind of have to get in with a group of people who are already are already talking this, right? And it, it's not that it's not that the people have to be, it, it doesn't have to be Pete Fortunato, right? It doesn't have to be somebody with 50 years experience and all sorts of, it, it needs to be somebody who knows enough about it to understand why they would want to do it. And then you and that person would then go out and reach out to, to attorneys and people like that to figure out how to do it. But I think in a, in a lot of places, I mean, you're a little spoiled by, attending a lot of groups in that kind of South central Florida area where there tend to be a high number of creative, sophisticated people in most of the country. If you say option, people kind of vaguely go, yeah, not what you do like with farmland. If you think the city is going to grow out that direction, they have no more understanding of it than that. I mean, I had no more understanding about it than that until 10 years ago. So, yeah, most people. If you say if you say option, they think lease option as if it's one word, one tool, and that's how most people have heard of things as a lease option. But they don't stop to think there's two different tools at work. One is a lease, which gives someone use of a property. The other is the option, which gives someone the right to buy. They don't realize the option can be used by itself. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. There's very few people who really understand options early, and there's a there's a handful of really good investing real estate investing groups that that teach that 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 where people speak that language yeah not just not just teach it like having somebody come in once a year and say here's what they are is that's great i wish more groups would do it but there's got to be people there who are talking it kind of all the time right like options and everything else so i just received an email from michelle and it has one two three four five six seven of those emoticons (laughs) that are laughing with tears coming out of the eyes 
And it says, I wish I had some way to show the li- my live reactions to you and Bill right now. I'm rolling on the floor laughing. Even the text you sent today was hysterical. I don't know which one of us it sent was. a text. That, that, no, it was an email. It was an email you sent where you, it was a cook, cooking, overcooked. <laughs> I read that this morning. Fortunately, I had coffee in my mouth and I blew coffee on my computer, but I thought that was a great email you wrote. Yeah. So Michelle, Michelle doesn't have a question. She just wants us to know that she finds us very, very amusing. Um, <laughs> thank you, Michelle. So question here from Michael who is uh, a fairly experienced investor in the sense that he's he's done a lot of rentals and rehabs. He says, how do you protect yourself when you've bought a property subject to the existing loan, but then later the seller files bankruptcy without letting you know in advance or giving you an opportunity to buy the property outright? This happened to me once a number of years ago after we were about two years into the deal. So in other words, he'd been making payments on the seller's behalf for two years. Having the deed in my name was not enough protection. I was making payments directly to the lender. Wow, that's an interesting story because... But what, what, but what happened? I mean, he's making payments to the seller. Nothing should have happened. No, no, no. Yeah, making making payments to the lender... And apparently, yeah, I mean, the, the apparently seller. the lender went ahead and foreclosed on the property. So, really? yeah. So the the question, I mean, the part about the seller declares bankruptcy without giving you an opportunity to buy the property outright. I mean, you already own the property in a subject to. So I think what he meant really meant was without having the chance to just like pay off the loan on that I've been paying on on this property for two years. Um, I have. So seller bankruptcy is an issue in a subject to, and it's because the bank actually has the right to call your mortgage due if you declare particularly chapter seven bankruptcy, which would wipe out the note, but leave the mortgage in place. So in other words, like you, they can't, they can't go after you for the payments, but they can still keep the house, which is what happened here. I've just never seen a bank do that. I've had I've had several uh, sellers who have declared bankruptcy after I had taken over their loan, and I just kept making payments. Have you ever had that happen, Bill? I've for twenty five years I've been doing sub two deals, and in all that time I've had three different sellers slash borrowers declare bankruptcy. In all three cases, I kept making the payments on the seller's note. And never had a problem with it. And I paid all three of those notes off eventually. I mean, it was like right away. It was years later when the term ran out on the note. I paid them off, but I never had a problem. Yeah, and yeah, so the same same exact thing happened to me, only it was just twice. And I assume that the bankruptcy court probably notified Mike that the bankruptcy was happening because he would have been... Like when they when they started looking through all the seller's assets, they would have found out that they had a debt against the property, but the property wasn't an asset of theirs anymore and would have notified Mike. That's that's what that's how I found out the sellers declared bankruptcy. I got a big old envelope from the bankruptcy court. And the first thing I would have done would be uh, consult with an experienced bankruptcy attorney. And say, what, what can we do 
about this like right now? Can we go to the trustee and say this this debt should not be part of this bankruptcy because I am paying it and have been for two years and see if it could just be taken out of the court that could have still allowed the bank to foreclose. So the next call I would have made would have been to the bank. And I just would have fessed up. I would have been like, look, I bought this property subject to the existing loan. I've been making the payments. I intend to continue making the payments. If it makes you feel better to have me sign a note that has the same terms as your seller had, I would be happy to do that. But uh, I wouldn't foreclose if I were you because now that the seller's declared bankruptcy, I, I always have an agreement with my sellers that if they declare bankruptcy and the bank goes to take the house, I no longer have to make payments so that I can have a year or so where I can collect rents and not have any outgoing payments to kind of make up for the money I've put into the property. And I would tell the bank that and say, are you sure you want to do this? If you, if, if I get noticed that you're filing foreclosure, that's the last payment you're going to see, or we can just keep this a nice performing loan. Yeah. And I, I've never called the lender. What I did is you hit the nail ahead. I've seen Brian Kahn, who's a bankruptcy attorney in Cartersville, Georgia. And that's who I always recommended people go see if they had if that was on their mind. But anyway, Brian just said, keep making your payments to the lender. If anything happens past that, call me, come in to me. And he said, we'll deal with it then. He said, but just make your payments. And that's what I did. So we didn't call the bankruptcy trustee, nothing. We just I just kept making payments. And because my letter, my address is down as the mailing address, if the note did call, get called due, First of all, the bankruptcy, I got a certified letter letting me know of the bankruptcy. That's how I found out. But if the lender was going to declare, was going to foreclose, I would also be getting a certified letter, several of them from the Mm -hmm. lender. So I would know that that's happening so I can have time to go deal with it. And what you just said is the first call I would make then is to the lender to say, hey, it's current. And just to see where we can go to from there. And then if I needed to, I would pay off that loan, but I would keep the house. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, there was one of the two houses where my seller declared bankruptcy where I had to think about whether I wanted to keep it because I bought it subject to a loan that had only been made about two years earlier and I bought it in 2007. And by the time the, by the time the seller declared bankruptcy, it was 2009 and the rents had gone down and the value of the property had gone down and I had to really look at that and say, me letting this go back to the bank is not going to hurt the seller because he has already declared bankruptcy. It doesn't get worse than that. You know, like I'm not ruining his credit (laughs) at this point by not making his payments and letting it go back to the bank. Um, But yeah, generally you always want to have a backup plan. I've got, I've got private lenders. I know I've got partners. I know I've got other people who can take this out if absolutely necessary. All right, Bill, we need to take another quick break. We're still taking creative finance questions from uh, anybody who's got one. And I don't know, basic ones, advanced ones, whatever you want to ask. 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today to Bill Cook. And when I say we're talking, I mean you listeners and also me. You are talking via email at askvina at gmail.com or at via phone at 
772-9658. And the questions on the table today should pretty much all be creative finance questions, whether it's about negotiation, deal structuring, how to find creative deals, anything like that, because that is what Bill is really good at. So, Bill, we have this really awesome question from Grace. Oh Lord! I'm really, I'm, re- I'm, re- no, I'm. I, you're, you're actually, I hope you're going to be, you're going to be glad she asked this. What, okay. What kind of common pitfalls have you come across that newbies should be on the lookout when it comes to doing creative deals? So her, her, the title of her question is "Common Pitfalls and Mistakes Newbies Make in Creative Finance." Not knowing what they're doing. I think that's a that's a big one is is doing it without having a full range of information because and I've heard you use this analogy a lot, Vina, where people will get on YouTube and watch let's say let's call it, you know, how to get owner financing, but not really get the full information, not have the documents that are needed, not know the things that you should back, sit down and talk to the other person about to make sure that everything's clear. And that is probably to me that's a huge pitfall and the other pitfall is there's a just not ever making a creative offer just not ever getting sitting down with a seller and make you know putting the, the offer to paper and handing it to the seller so if i had the two biggest ones that's that's the two i'd pick but i'd be real curious to hear what you say Vina. um along similar lines i mean i i hate to indicate to any investor new or otherwise that like you have to know every single solitary thing about creative deals in order to even make an offer that is not true but you do have to know enough about them to understand what you don't know and then you have to know people who do know right like when i made my first creative offer I knew what a land contract was. I bought I bought a property. Oh, nope, that's not true. Yeah, that was my first creative offer. Yeah, first creative offer was I offered uh, a seller a land contract. So I knew what a land contract was. I basically knew how they functioned. It seemed like it might be a good fit for that seller. So I made the offer. I did not know where to get a land contract document or every single step that w- it would take to get to the closing. But I knew I knew people who did. So I, I, I was just really talking to him about like price and monthly payments and how long and things like that, uh, knowing that we could get into the details if we were in basic agreement on the numbers of the deal. Uh, I see so many new investors who, yeah, they watched a YouTube video or they watched every YouTube video. And, and this is particularly true in, in subject twos for some reason. They watched every video on subject two. They got a mishmash of information, some of which was probably correct, some was incorrect, and some was unethical because there's a lot of out there's a lot of that out there right now. And they go forth to do a subject two, and they literally don't even know what documents they should have at the closing because YouTube University didn't tell them. YouTube University said, yeah, yeah, you just get the deed, and then you get the payment book, and then you're all good. There's like six other documents <laughs> that you should have in a subject to yeah. uh, closing. And so so my first answer is very much along the lines of yours, and my second one is also sort of in the same vein as yours. You said they, they don't make creative offers. Yeah. It's it, 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 in... 
my observation, right or wrong, they're not making creative offers because they have already talked to the seller inside their own heads and decided the seller's going to say no. They haven't talked yep. to the seller in real life and 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 said, Wait, you know, would this work for you? But they inside their own heads, they have made the decision for the seller that the seller doesn't want to hear that offer. You know, I, I was good. As you say this, I'm thinking back. The very first subject to deal I ever did was in '98, and I did it. And I think, you know, I had somebody's course, and that, that I, I stumbled my way through it, and I made a lot of mistakes, but I still did it. And then, probably about three or four months after doing that deal, I sat down with an experienced investor in Maria. And just I hired him to look over what I had done. And, you know, he kept hitting his forehead, making a lot of noises and moaning a lot. But he taught me, he showed me all the different mistakes I made, showed me how to fix most of those mistakes, which I went back and did. I mean, the the deal went fine. I just made the payments and one day I owned the house. But from that knowledge that he gave me, I never made those mistakes again. So learning the deal structure is twofold. One is is sitting in the classroom, is learning the language and learning what to do in the paperwork. But also the first once or twice or third time you do a deal, bringing in an experienced investor to help you with it, making them part of the deal, that really helps the learning curve skyrocket. And you, if they help that other person, the experienced person, helps you from making a lot of bad mistakes that don't need to be made. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you for your question, Grace. Let's go to the phones and talk to Andrea on line one, who is in Columbus. Andrea, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello. Well, thanks for having me. We're glad you're so, here. Uh, my... <laughs> okay. Dean and Bill, I have a question, and I would love your help. I'm really excited about this. So I went driving for dollars. Okay. I found a property that uh, with a problem. And it is in pre-foreclosure, and I have about five or six weeks until it is listed for sheriff's sale. And it's a little bit tangly. I have, um, there are three brothers. One of the brothers is is the executor of the will. And um, one of the other brothers has a wife that is very upset that she, that they had to put a lot of money in towards the attorney fees to have the case probated. And so she's looking for money. The executor is about, um, you know, he's an older gentleman and really doesn't want to, um, really doesn't want to deal with a person. He really just wants to kind of go through the process with the attorney and just put it up on the sheriff's site and, and have it sold. So what I'm wondering is, um, how might a subject to deal work in this scenario? Um, knowing that the wife wants money and the brother doesn't want to deal with people and all of that. Well, the subject to scenario is probably the only scenario in which that wife is going to get money. There is going to be some finagling to, because only the executor can actually sign the deed to you right now. So if if he's just going to, I think, you know, Bill said there's no impossible deals, only impossible people. And you may have run across one, but hopefully not. Do you know the numbers on the pro- on the property, like how how much the mortgage is and how far behind it is? Yeah, that, I don't know how far behind it is. There's a lot of it. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. I don't know how far behind it is yet, but I do know um, the attorney I spoke with today said that he thought I could get the property for thirty-five to forty thousand, 
And um, looking in PropStream, it looks like they should probably owe about 35000 So I'm not aware yet of the legal fees tied to it. Okay, so uh, you can get some handle on it by going and looking at the foreclosure filing in the, in the court records. That will say how much the bank is is foreclosing over and it will say like it's you know $35,000 plus $1.97 in interest a day or something like that and that'll that'll allow you to kind of figure out how much they think is owed you can also look up the original mortgage and see what the original balance was and get get, get some clue as to how much of that might be back payments it, oh it will also say in the court filing uh, when it went into default, which should give you, you should be able to go, all right, well, they, they, they haven't paid for 13 months and the payments look like they should be about this. So it would be about this much money up front to catch it up. Because that's Wonderful. what, that's okay. what you're, that's what you're contemplating doing is catching it up. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I guess I would do next and Bill may have some other idea about this is I would probably, submit an offer to the executor and the attorney for the estate that said, I, you know, I propose doing this, you know, sub subject to confirming these numbers and the benefit to you is you'd actually get some money out of this that would help you pay for this probate and I don't know, uh -huh. do other things with your life because it, it sounds like the executor doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> no, wants, no, not very much. He was very pleasant, but very short. Well, I, sus I suspect putting an offer on his desk might make him wake up some. All right. That's what I'm going to do then. Yeah. It sounds like a great property, by the way, because uh, before his brother passed, he actually had a lot of work done to the property. Um, and I guess here's another little caveat to this scenario is before the brother passed, um, he actually had a grant from the city that, in, in which they made a lot of repairs to the property. So it's a brick property, it's a brick house with a new roof, new HVAC, a lot of new plumbing, new paint, etc. Mm -hmm. So the interior, which I, the, the gentleman said that I could not get into, um, it sounds like it might be in pretty decent shape. So this is very encouraging. Well, so you might want to also, while you're poking around in the courthouse records, see if there's any liens related to that work that the city supposedly did. Because a lot of uh, particularly older folks, when they when they go for one of those city programs, they think that it's literally free. And then the city files a lien against the property so that when it's sold, they have to be paid back. There is a lien. And so I, I wanted to ask you that question as well. There is a lien. However, the uh, foreclosure attorney uh, that's working with the executor said that that lien did not need to be paid back. And so that's very confusing to me. Yeah, you better look at it because often it doesn't need to be paid back if the uh, borrower lives in the house for a certain number of years after it's put on there. So, yeah, there's there's some more poking around to do here, but I would definitely pursue this. Thank you. Okay. Hey, well, hey Andrea. Yeah. As yes. we were talking, I had a couple, couple quick ideas. One is you may want to, whoever the whoever is holding the lien, you may want to see if you can buy the lien at a discount. So now you're the holder of that lien. There may be a way uh. to profit from that. And also, 
I would talk to the neighbors around that house to confirm that work got done because more than likely the neighbors have been in that house and can tell you what's going on inside and whether the work was good or bad. And um, I'd keep pursuing the brother, the executor. I'd, I'd go knock on his door if he's somewhere local and just say, can we have a cup of coffee? And Because over the phone, people can kind of brush you off. But when you're face-to-face, not so much. And the last thing is I want to thank you because I noticed when you said, um, you know, hey, Bill and, Bill, Bill and Vina, you had more excitement in your voice when you said Bill. That happens a lot. And I just want to say thank you for that. <laughs> I, I think I think what you were hearing as excitement was probably trepidation. <laughs> hey, I cannot confirm nor deny. I'm not getting in the middle of you two. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you for your call, Andrea. Thank you. I appreciate it and look forward to hearing the end of this story. Uh, okay, Bill, question from Catherine. She says a motivated seller owns her home outright, but she owes about $5,000 in back taxes. What is the best creative deal structure? She does own the home free and clear. I'm thinking owner financing with me paying back taxes, but, but I definitely want one where I end up with a home in my name. Yeah, I I think she's absolutely right. I like, I love the idea. If the lady is okay with getting monthly payments, be willing to pay more for the house than fair market value or more than her asking price. Um, I do that often. And if you can get the $5,000 burden off her back, if that's your buy-in, that can be a great deal. But then, again, this is a cup of coffee. What does she need? Is she okay with payments? If so, how much payments does she need? Um, does she want the 5000 plus a down payment? There's still more questions to to answer. And I'd be question, just curious to see how you answer this question, Bina. Uh, no, I think... It's a pretty obvious owner-held mortgage structure because that's the one that gets the deed into her name, (laughs) which is the main thing she wanted. Um, Question from Mark. In a subject two, do you transfer the deed from the previous homeowner's name into your business or trust so that no liens, judgments, or bankruptcies would be tied to the property? I realize this could trigger the due on sale clause, but it might be a better bet than that that this person you're buying the property from uh, might have other financial issues in the future. That might be that might be a bigger chance than that the bank will call the loan. Do you want to take that one, or do you want me to? Uh, you're you're the you're the special guest today, Bill. <laughs> Please, you know this stuff forward and backwards, Rena. Um The answer is when the deed transfers from the borrower owner. To you, whether you use in your own name or you use an LLC or you use a trust, you violated the deal and sale clause. So that, that's been done. So no way around that. But the one thing to remember with the deal and sale clause, uh, something I realized is if let's say it's me and Vina and Bob Dressman and Jer Bear. And the four of us who are all experienced investors are sitting around talking about subject two deals. We never, ever bring up the deal and sale clause because we know how to work with it. It's just not a big deal. However, when I'm working with uh, when I'm around brand new investors who have never done a subject to deal, their total conversation is about the dreaded dual and sale clause. And I think, you know, take your lead from experienced investors where they're not, that's not their main focus. They're focused on the deal and the person they're working with. Um, but the dual and sale is triggered, Mark. So just know how to deal with that. And Vina has a great, she has a number of great strategies to, to work with the dual and sale clause in case it gets called. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so we only have time for one more question. We've literally got like 90 seconds left, and I had to pick from amongst three really good ones that came out last minute. Here's the one I've picked. In learning about creative finance, I've heard of offers being made for seller financing with a seller carrying a note at 0% interest. How is 0% interest, how is a 0% interest note of any value to the seller? If he wanted to sell the note, it wouldn't the discount be substantial if it could even be sold? The answer is the reason why a seller would take a zero interest note is they don't want the house anymore. So the main thing is they're just trying to get rid of the house and whether zero interest or you're paying an interest, uh, you know, paying 3% or 8%, they just don't want the house anymore. Yes. And, and Bob, let me add to that. I am willing to pay a lot more for a house at zero interest than I am at 8%. So the seller, the seller's not quote getting interest, but what the seller is getting is a higher price. Which you could, I mean, if you wanted to like get out a spreadsheet and do the math, you could say, well, she was only willing to pay 60 at 8%. She was willing to pay 80 at 0%. So if we considered that $20,000 interest, what would the interest rate be, right? Yes, you're right. If they tried to sell the note, they would take a big, big, big discount on it. However, most sellers who are taking back payments, like Bill says, they're not doing it because they're, even because they're looking for a profit particularly, they're doing it because they really, really, really don't want the house, and they don't intend to sell the note. Like, they're not going into this saying, like a note buyer would, saying, what could I get for this note if I wanted to sell it later on? So I, I think you, you, I think you're thinking for sellers, like we talked about before. So, I don't know, try it and see what sellers tell you. Uh, and thank you for the question, Bob, and thank you for all the other questions. I will pick up the ones that we uh, could not get to today in a future question and answer week show. So do not fret. It'll get answered. Do not forget either tomorrow night, Cincinnati Rhea online. Bill and I are giving a hour and a half long presentation called How to Buy Your Next Rental Without Cash or Credit. You can register for that and attend at no charge at CincinnatiRia.com. Uh, we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.